0: So we, we made the jokes last week about uh, I was probably the only person that was preaching a, a sermon then jumping on a plane to Vegas. <laughs> uh, probably true. Having spent a, a week there for, for work, um, it, it was a, a very different place than uh, Holly Springs, North Carolina. Um, but all in all, it, it, was, it was a nice trip. Thank you, everybody, for, for checking in on me. Uh, one thing that I noticed, and it, and it really stood out to me, was when I was walking through the casinos with all the lights and the sounds and everything going. I don't know that I've ever seen such a collection of bored and unhappy people in my life. Um, and it was particularly interesting because you know the, you've got all the all the lights and everything's trying to sound exciting, and you just look at people just unhappy, just pulling pulling levers or watching their their money <laughs> disappear in front of them. And and it and it really struck me, you know, that, that they we talked about about hope last week. They had put their their hope in. in in and fortune and, and fate, and chance and happenstance, and um, it wasn't paying off. You know, there's the occasional scream of delight, you know, but there was many, many more frustration and tears and curse words that, that just rang through those halls. Um, yeah, the house always wins. In fact, one of my my Uber drivers, you know, looked at, at all this and says, you know, this, this is all the money that everybody that comes into town has left here. Um, and, and I thought that was a really interesting way of looking at it. You look at those big, giant hotels. It's, it's all the money that people left on those tables at the end of the day. Um, what we put our hope in matters. Uh, and, and what I, I realized was, you know, there's people that, that just didn't have peace. They didn't have peace. And as we're looking at this week, we're looking at Advent. Um, peace really matters. Peace speaks volumes. When you have peace, when you're coming from a foundation of peace... You're able to navigate so much more readily whatever life throws at you. Uh, the Advent theme that we're taking that this whole series is time. Time. And, and it's not just the fact that Advent is, is where we're waiting for something to come, but, but something has already happened. Something has already happened, and we're often ignorant of it or we're blind to it. And some of that's because the world's a big place. The Bible can be a big book, <laughs> but you should read the whole thing because something has happened and the time has come for us to realize the goodness of our inaugurated king. That Jesus was born and things changed and things shifted and fate and circumstance and chance no longer rule over mankind's lot, over where we go from here. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3.8 calls this one out on its nose. You know, we were talking about how there's a time for everything. Ecclesiastes 3 says, uh, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace, time for war, and a time for peace, so whenever Jesus comes, whenever Jesus is reigning, what do we have, it's a, it's a time for peace, when he came, the angels declared, hark, the herald angels declared, the prince of peace has arrived, uh, has arrived. I think um, when we say peace though, we, we really are one-dimensional with that, we, we think of it the way that Ecclesiastes painted that picture. It's like war or peace. You've got this operation. It's got to be one of these things or the other. It's the best of times, the worst of times. You know, we, we've got this idea that that's all that we, we've got here. It's, it's either war or peace. But shalom, the, the word that's used in Scripture for this, is actually much, much richer. Shalom is it's a greeting that you give. You know, like, you know, aloha and, and all those things. That's, mahalo, they, they mean love. And, and all they, they, they mean more than just high. Shalom means much more than just peace. Peace is one of the names of God as well. Whenever he talks about him being the God of peace, it's a name that he has given to himself to express who he is. But shalom is also completeness, and wholeness, fullness. So it's the idea that it's lacking nothing, that in this thing itself is the fullness of the thing that it should be. So shalom, peace, you are complete. You have everything that you need. You don't need to worry about anything outside of you because everything here is complete. So when you come into somebody's presence and you say, peace, what you're really saying is, may your life be full. May you have everything that you need. May, may everything on those edges be taken care of for you. Peace isn't just the absence of conflict. I think those of us who were alive in the 80s, we probably remember this well with the Cold War. You know, there, there was no conflict really going on, but they taught us how to hide under our desks, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so that that would save everything if we hid under our desks. But there was the Cold War was one of these ideas where, you know, yeah, we're not actively at war. We're not fighting these things, but we know there's animosity. We know there's tension. We know that that there's, you know, spies going around trying to get more information and figure out if we did go to war, if we we did come to conflict, what would happen? There can be tension and stress and anxiety and lack and more. It's almost a a stereotype for a a couple. You know, what's wrong? Oh, nothing. Well, you just seem so distant. You know, they're, they're not fighting but they're not at peace, <laughs> you know, and you know the <laughs> you know the difference, right? We're, we're not fighting. We're not, we're, why do you want to pick a fight? We're not arguing. Well, you're just so distant. Yes, there's no peace. There's no fullness of what that relationship can be. You're not arguing. You're not fighting. But this isn't shalom. You don't have what God has intended for this to be. And, you know, as people, we're not full. We're not. We're not full. None of us are are really full. In fact, we're made with a lack. We need things. I I need affirmation. I need you to tell me I did a good job. You know, I I need you to tell me that everything's going to be fine. I needed the pat on the back. It was uh, funny because at the end of the uh, conference I was speaking at in in Vegas, they give you the, they call them the CSAT, the customer survey responses. I'm so glad we don't do that at church. <laughs> you know, rank this one, you know, out of five stars, how many would you give it? How, how effective? Yeah, nothing in your seats is a comment card. Let me <laughs> make that clear. But, you know, we, we need these things, and, and we, want to, we want to have, a, you know, affirmation or love, or we need hope. And we designed that way. We're designed that way because in ourselves we're incomplete. And in marriage, we get a glimpse of completeness. In a church congregation, in a community, we get a glimpse of that completeness, that we're better together. That you have gifts that, that, that I need, and I have gifts that you need, and, and I can, you can practice your gifts whenever we do these things together. Um, there's this lack by ourselves, but together we see a little bit more shalom. We see a little bit more peace that can only be satisfied, though, with the coming of God himself. So with the gifts, with the fruit of the Spirit, shalom begins to get filled, but it all needs his Spirit to be there. This is an old adage that pastors have passed down from age to age. That There's a God-shaped hole in your heart, right? I'm sure you've heard that saying before. But it doesn't make it any less true. You know, we were made to be in relationship with God. And we try to fill it with so many things because it, it seems like it, it's a near fit. Have you seen those videos of, of like laser-cut etched metal? where they, they cut something out, and then they put the thing back in there, and you just see it slide in perfectly, and you, you know it was made for that. Well, we have this God-shaped hole. We are made to be in relationship with God, and yet we throw so many things out. We throw romance at it. We, we throw worldly power and prestige in that hole, thinking maybe this will fill that up, and I'll, I'll, I'll feel better for a while, or we, we throw gambling at this, and our, our hopes and our dreams and that, and and it just doesn't work. Entertainment, mindless entertainment. Maybe if I could just forget about this, I can be distracted long if I don't feel this, this hole in my heart anymore. There's a, a, something that a few celebrities have, have managed to tell us, and I greatly appreciate this one. This is a, from Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. Those are the words of a man who's been there and done that and realized that's not it. You know, I I had this need, if you hear him talk more about this, he has this need for affirmation. He has this need for love. And and you see so many celebrities, particularly in the news, who are struggling with depression, and they're comedians. And they're, they're trying to overcome this lack in their life, and this isn't trying to put everybody in one box. But, you know, you hear these accounts of people saying they're just trying to overcome this. And they throw fame at it. They throw fortune at it. They think that's got to be the answer. Because when I'm on stage and people are laughing with me and we're having a good time, I forget about it for just a little while. And, and I think that maybe that's it. If I could just get more of that, then, then maybe this would be it. And Jim Carrey at the top of his career just kind of walked away and kind of went crazy for a little while. <laughs> not sure he's come back yet. But just realizing that's not it. That's not it. I, th- I thought I'd find it, but it wasn't there. This world is at war. I mean, this world is at war. You know, there's active conflict, of course, between nations. But, but I mean, more so than that, we're just battling. We're fighting to get what's ours. We're, we're battling to try to get what we think we deserve. We're battling for recognition and fame to leave our mark on this. You know, it's, it's one of those funny things. You, you read the Egyptian history, and it's hard to figure out what happened because every new pharaoh would erase the pharaoh's record that came before him because it's, it's as if nobody's ever been king but me. You know, we, we're at war with these ideas, and we want ourselves to leave this legacy. We want ourselves to have the best mark, and we're at war with ourselves. Who is it that, that, that doesn't want the best life that they can have? And, you know, we want to make sure that I'm the best me that I can be. And I want, to, I want my life to be well lived. And we're at war and we're fighting and we're fighting and we're striving. And we say peace out loud. And I think a lot of us like it. We like this idea, but it's foreign to us because we live in a, a world at war. That's what we're more comfortable with. When we think of peace, we think of this outer peace between people, nations, whatever, or we think of this inner peace, this peace that I need inside of myself. The Bible says that we are called to be peacemakers. Peacemakers. See, the thing is, there's a big difference between being kind and being nice. You might have known this growing up, right? Being nice is like often that thing that you'll say about somebody when there's nothing else to say, oh, they're, they're nice. But a kind person, they're actively working out that goodness. A kind person is the fruit of the Spirit. A kind person is, is making this world a better place because they're not just polite. Sometimes being kind actually means confronting that evil and, and driving things differently. And I think that there's a big difference between making peace, being a peacemaker, and avoiding conflict. You know, sometimes we think that if I can just not fight today... I'm a peacemaker. If, if I could just get through this without losing my temper, without losing my cool, without, without speaking words out of, out of turn, then you know what? I'll, I'll consider myself a peacemaker. There's a world of difference between those of us who want to avoid conflict and actual peacemakers. And we are called to be peacemakers. 1 Timothy 2 says this, I urge then, first of all, That petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. He wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to proper time. Now, we, we hear this, this passage, and we often only grab that first bit. You should pray for your leaders. You know, just pray for your leaders. That, that's what we're called to. That's what this passage is about. This passage is actually about so much more than praying for the president, though we should, and we, we must. But it's saying that what, he's, what Timothy's saying is, first of all, of all the things I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Before he gets into the the kings and those in authority, everybody needs this. We need to be praying for each other. But why? Why are we praying for each other? Because we we love them, because it's nice. No, we need to be praying for them because we need peace. Because that peace is going to lead the way to godliness and holiness. It's good and it pleases God because Jesus Christ himself made peace. When there was enmity between God and God, and mankind. He made peace. He was the mediator, and now we can walk that out. So wars ultimately, though, come down from things within ourselves, things inside my own heart, things inside my own soul, things that I struggle with myself, pride, greed, envy, jealousy, lust for power. All these lead to wars and conflicts. They come from within the human heart. James 4.1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You know, we have these good things that we want to do. We have these ways that we want to be about, but yet we ourselves don't know peace. You know, before we even lash out at somebody else, there's something going on here. I, I had a really... Bad day recently, and I just wanted a, a pity party and to cut myself off and go to bed early and just just be done with it. And it's one of those things where everything's compounded, you know? The dog won't come in whenever I, I call him in, and then I burn my hand, and then the alarm goes off, and I, you know, it's, it's like everything's there just getting you frustrated and, and mad. And, and then, you know, Leah said something to me, and I'm just like kind of short with her. She's like, Why are you mad at me? And I'm not. I'm not. This is something in me. It's that moment whenever I realize I've got to look at myself. What, what is going on in, in my own heart? Why, why would we take this out on somebody else? Why do we so naturally go to quarrel with somebody else whenever it, the, the turmoil, the warring is happening inside myself? Why are we make somebody else the casualty when it's myself that's twisted and torn up? We're prone to get defensive. I think you know what I'm talking about. It's not my fault. You know, they're, they're the ones who are wrong, you know, it, it, it's, it's their fault that I, I got this way. It's, it's, it's my, my father's fault. You know, he was never around. Or d- my mom was so overbearing, so overprotective. Caris will nod her head in approval. You know, it, it's so hard because, you know, it's not my fault. You know, all this stuff, I'm just, I'm a victim of this myself. And if I don't defend myself, who will? If I don't look out for number one, who will? I've got to do this. I've got to be at war. I've got to fight. I've got to take care of what's mine. I have to protect what's mine. Because if I don't do it, who will? So similar to last week, we find that hope isn't automatic in this age. And what I mean by when Christ came, people aren't all automatically hopeful. We still hope in the wrong things. Even Christians, we still hope in the wrong things. We still mistake what our hope should be. So for Christians still, we don't all have peace, (laughs) Now, we can have peace, but it's not automatic. It doesn't happen by default. We find ourselves still at war with ourselves, still at war with the old man, still at war with this world, and still fighting fights, thinking, I've got to find my way through this. And peace, shalom, is still sometimes far away. We have hope, but not fully. We're still in between. But now is the time for hope. And now is the time for peace. We have to be those peacemakers. We have to make peace. How? Through the sword? We fight this thing out? We're, we just have to, we'll have peace when all my enemies lay at my feet. <laughs> you know, then I can sit back. And, and what was that great quote by, um, about Mark Anthony or whoever it was? You know, that he cried because there was no more Battles to be fought. Alexander the Great, that's right. You know, that, that he looked over his his empire, and, and he had won everything that he ever wanted, and, and so he was sad, because, you know, I didn't want peace. I want I wanted to keep expanding. You know, I have this desire to have more. I think what Timothy is telling us in that first passage we read, petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving, pray for all people. Why do we do that? Because it's hard for them? Because ultimately have our best interest in heart? No. Because that's the position to help. When God moves out there, when God is is changing these communities, when God changes our nations, when God's kingdom comes, we all benefit from that. We're in this lot together. We're all in this lot together. And when God's peace comes, when it's him that makes the way, when it's him that provides peace by his love, by his forgiveness, it's a peace that will hold up. Every other piece is a temporary fiction. Every other piece that we might, that we might build up is going to fall whenever the next villain rises up. But when we are all united, when we're all there under Christ's forgiving love and his grace and mercy, that's a piece for the ages. It's not Pax Romana. That's not Pax Americana. That is the Pax of, of, of Christ himself where we live and breathe, and godliness and hope goes on. And it comes not through the sword. It comes through prayer and intercession and thanksgiving, which we think, really? That's what I'm called to do? Yes, church. And if you've prayed for somebody, you probably know this. You pray for somebody, your heart is softened towards them. It is so hard to pray for somebody that you think is the villain and not become compassionate towards them. It's so hard. I, I, in fact, I, it's never happened for me. I don't know if it's happened for anybody in here, but it's never happened for me. Anytime I pray for somebody, my heart starts to break for them because I begin to see them through Christ's eyes. I begin to see that they're struggling. I begin to see this, this, they don't want to be this way either. And I consider them and I love them and I realize, okay, Lord, what are you doing? How are you working this out? Timothy's not talking about being at peace with ourselves. Timothy's not talking about this idea of just having some ethereal, mystical peace. Timothy was actually talking about world peace. <laughs> you know, not, not a concept or theological constraint. Timothy was actually talking about having peace in the sense that we're not fighting. The idea of, of acceptance we talk about so much, just accept my past, just accept my faults, accept my failures, and, and I just need to be at peace with them. That's not actually peace. One thing that I appreciate so much about our good, good Father that he never lets things go until they're dealt with. He doesn't just say, ah, you know what, we'll just ignore that thing for now. You know, uh, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just say that we're going to, okay, from, from now on, <laughs> from now on, we're, we're just going to try to make these things better. We're just going to make de- better decisions from, from here on. He confronts my, my past. He confronts the sins that I've done, and he does it in such a loving and gracious way that I actually have peace Not just an acceptance, but I actually have peace. Timothy is saying that the people in charge can help give us a world peace. Peace, that's an avenue to godliness and holiness. And James is saying we fight among each other because we ourselves are at war. They both are talking about shalom. How can we bring about this peace, God's character, God's name itself into this world? But what changed with Advent? This is theoretical stuff, maybe theological stuff, but, but something shifted and something changed, and that's why we're talking about this around Advent, around Christ's coming, that he came once and he will come again. Something shifted because we have a possibility for peace now that we did not have before. There's the, the opportunity we have to enter into peace, to have within ourselves a completeness that can't be affected by circumstance. And that that sounds just about too good to be true. And I I share this story often because it it changed my life. There was this homeless man that I got to know in in Athens, Georgia, Georgia Bulldogs. That's all I'm gonna say, because we all know why. Um, And there was this homeless man I got to know. We would go out on the street corners and we'd strum our guitars as, you know, 19-year-old white boys do. And (laughs) we're strumming our guitars, we're singing, and there's this this 65, 70-year-old black man who came up and just sat and listened. He started talking to us, and he had such a different life experience than what we did. But we began doing this over, you know, several weeks and then several months, and then I did it for like a year, and and he and I became friends. And I really appreciated his story. And, you know, at first when he came up to me, I I always thought, like, "Ah, he's gonna ask me for money. It's going to be awkward. You know, like I, I, I don't have much myself. I'm in college. I don't have a job, you know, whatever. We're, it's going to be hard. He never did. Then after like a year, I, it's, it's like, what do you want? It's like, I don't want anything. It's like, well, what do you, what do you, need? Like, do you need? Do you need money? Do you need a meal? He's like, no, I, I go to the center and they, they give me a meal because I can often find enough change to, to get a, a cup for McDonald's and then I can get coffee there and they refill it throughout the day. It's like, do you want a blanket? And he goes, no, they, they got them in the center. If I had a blanket, I'd just be worried about losing it. I'm like, <laughs> what, what do you want, man? And he, he wanted nothing. And he began telling me his own story about how he was a man full of jealousy and bitterness and anger and how he had a best friend and a wife and they met up and he lost his best friend and his wife and then they took his company and he had nothing. And for years he raged and was angry and, and lost this world. Then Jesus met him. And he found peace and contentment. And in a way that that I looked at this and I just thought, I want what you have. I truly do. Because your circumstances, let's be honest, are terrible. <laughs> you know, you're living on the streets, you're you're depending on the center, you're this this isn't the life that you dreamed for yourself. And, and we, he and I talked, and I was like, well, what would you do if you saw your friend? He goes, oh, I would just forgive him. You know, look where he got me. This is great. Well, what about your wife? He goes, well, I miss her. But again, I have no, no, no anger towards her. And it was such a stereotypical story about what the gospel does that I found it hard to believe, you know, that this man that you could meet on the street could be so at peace with himself, so at peace with this world where he has none of the things that we strive for, none of the things that we work for, none of the things I worry for. But he had the peace of God in a way that I got to tell you, I'm still working towards. That I'm still working towards where circumstance and happenstance and whatever changes around me doesn't upset the thing that God has already done inside. That's peace. The peace that we have now because Advent came. Because Jesus came. Things are different. Things have shifted. Isaiah 2, 4. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. You know, we, we make movies of the, the quiet husband or the father who suffers a, a loss, and then he turns to war, or violence, or vengeance, trying to get it back. They almost all star Mel Gibson and the British are almost always the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking Braveheart. I'm thinking of the Patriot. You know, th- it's the same story. You know, I had this wife and I lost her. I had this kid and I lost him. <laughs> and, and Mel Gibson really hates the British for reasons I cannot tell you. Um, but, you know, this idea that, that war, that vengeance is somehow virtuous, that it's, it's going to alleviate this, that it's going to bring about this. We see very few movies where you see this warrior who's like, you know, I'm going to beat my sword into a plowshare and retire as a farmer. You know, you almost got in Gladiator a little bit, but he was stuck in, in the patterns of violence and couldn't find his way out. It's that, that dream, that aspiration. But the movie doesn't start up as he hangs up his shield and then he goes and plows the field for the next hour, 60 minutes of the movie. You know, we don't see that. Why? We're so comfortable, it'd be boring, <laughs> exactly, be- because we're so comfortable with being glamorizing this violence, glamorizing war, that, that we're drawn to it as a virtuous thing, that it's exciting, that it gives meaning, that, that that's the world that we know. It gives us something to, to look at to say we need to overcome that, that peace is still foreign to us. Peace is still something that while we say in words we ascribe to, it, and we want that life of peace, Most of us wouldn't know what to do with peace when it grips our own lives. It's not a jab at Hollywood because they make the movies that we want. You know, they make the movies that we pay to watch. We love to invoke this prophecy that I just read from Isaiah. And to date it, it has always been too early. We're not there yet. Now, Jesus as king, that's where we're going towards with us. This prophecy will be fulfilled when Jesus is, is king. But I know we're not there yet because we still don't have Christ as the judge between the nations because we're still at war, because we're still finding ways to do evil, to hurt each other, to, to set up arbitration of ourselves between these things. We don't rely on God to judge. We rely on, on human wisdom, on human courts. The last enemy isn't yet defeated. Death still haunts us, but Christ is on the move. I so badly want to say Aslan's on the move, but not everybody's going to get that. But Christ is on the move. You know, remember the words of the Good Shepherd in that psalm. We sang it I'm gonna remind you of it here again. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I, I think we're so comfortable again with this passage that we don't stop to really consider what that means. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The bad people <laughs> are all around me. The people that want to destroy my life are all, are all around me. And, and Jesus is just like, here, pull up a chair. I've got a spread for you, your favorite food. I, I, I have a spot for you here. And you, I can just see myself looking over my shoulder just like, uh, maybe we could do this later, God. Like, this might not be the best time. That guy really doesn't like me, you know. Like, but here he is preparing a table in the presence of my enemies. The enemies being present doesn't distract from God's peace. The enemies being present doesn't detract from God's power to give you peace. The circumstances we find ourselves in, in this world that loves war, don't detract from God's peace. This is not logical. This does not make sense. And this is the way it's always been, because God's power is sufficient. His peace is strong that there's no enemy you can invade. There's nothing that the enemy can take away that God cannot restore. There's nothing that can rock this world when we are actually satisfied and fully there in God's presence. I believe this with every fiber of my being, and I've tasted just a bit of it. Just a bit of it. I gotta tell you, I want more. I want more. I want, I want, I want like my, my homeless friend has on the streets. I, w- I want that peace. I really do. You can't buy with money, though. You can't buy with fame and success. You can't achieve this through claim of of people around you. You can't get this by notoriety. The only place this peace can actually be fulfilled is when God himself brings this into your life, when you acknowledge him as king and that Jesus is Lord, that the advent of the coming of the Son set all these things right, that there can now be peace on earth, and goodwill towards men. Only in that can this begin to be realized. This time in between, this is the reality of what we get, and it's really, really good. It's not a momentary treaty or truce, because God never makes a treaty or a truce with evil. He confronts the brokenness. It's a gift caused by His power and presence when we see His effective rule and reign. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, Goodwill towards men. This is another phrase that we we use so often, especially around this time, that we forget what it's actually saying. You know, it's powerful. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. Goodwill towards men. We reverse that. Glory to man on earth. And then we're wondering, well, where's the where's the peace? (laughs) How how did this not work? You know, if if I glorify myself, surely this will work out for me. Surely glory to man on earth, and and I'll find my, my peace. But the angels knew what they were saying. Glorify God in heaven and on earth then peace. When God is glorified, when things are right, when he's reigning and he's recognized as king, then we have peace where his favor rests, where his goodwill is is being enacted, where his power is in place. There's glory to man. There's no peace on earth. So it's now a time for peace. Peace. And what I mean by that is what battles are we called to fight? You know, as Christians, we are called to fight battles. you know we're we're called to join the Lord in, in what He does. So is it the 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 what is it the the annual Starbucks cup? is is that the battle that we are called to fight? Spoiler? No <laughs> you know, let 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 the let Caesar have what Caesars. Let Starbucks have their cups, you know, but let's render to God what is God. Now, coffee is a holy thing, and i will I will defend you on this one. However, I think there's something better than Starbucks sometimes. Is it down with Disney? Is that the battle that we're called to fight? You know, all the corruption we see in that media. Is there our battle against the 1%? Is our battle against the billionaires, those who are hoarding wealth from the rest of us, and, and I can't get what's mine? Is our battle against the corporations? Is it the war on Christmas and season's greetings, that, that whole dilution? What battles are we called to fight? I love this quote by Rick Warren here. Our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. Because the thing is, the battle is his. The battle is his. The peace is his. We ask, who is my neighbor? Who's my enemy? These are very, very important questions that we understand and that we know. Who's my neighbor? Who am I fighting for when I'm having these battles? Whenever I go to war, when I, when I try to, to stick it to the man, if I'm back in my punk days, or, you know, whatever I'm trying to do, who's my enemy? Who am I trying to fight against? Is it that person for whom Christ's heart breaks? And I'll tell you, if that person is flesh and blood, Christ's heart breaks for them. Because that is not our enemy. Another one that I know you've heard, but we need to hear it again, is put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Who is it that makes your blood boil? Because I know there's somebody that can make your blood boil. Are they flesh and blood? Is it those Democrats? Is it those Republicans The sexually immoral, those billionaires, the immigrants, those filthy sinners, those people who just don't know it. Whoever they may be, look at how Christ loves them. And if we, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, pray for them, that there will be God's peace on earth, as we glorify God above all, that's when I believe kindness and godliness begin ruling and reigning here. Francis Fenelon has this all wars are civil wars because all men are brothers what a good line i mean that that that's that just good on a t-shirt you know all wars are civil wars because all men are brothers you know, I, I believe that. And, and this isn't, I don't believe this is just hippie nonsense. I don't think that this is just, you know, fanatical thinking. I do believe that we are all from Adam and Eve. I believe that we all come from the same family. I believe that we're all in the image of God. And when you look at the Quakers' defense of why they would not pick up arms, why they were pacifists, why the Quakers wouldn't, they said the same thing. It's not mine to kill my brother. Cain and Abel, they, they lived that out for us. We know how that goes wrong. I can't kill my brother. He may kill me, but I'm not going to kill my brother. That is a sense of love and responsibility and respect for one another that I think we all need to aspire to. All wars are civil wars because all men are brothers. Now, when the Israelites took the promised land, though, it wasn't the end of their war. And I think that that's the way that if Holly were to make this story, you know, that's where you just have a great Finish. Right? The, the Israelites go into the Promised Land, and we're done. Fade to black. Happy ending. Maybe we'll have a sequel where we'll add a new enemy into the mix. But you know that that's a good thing. But as they went to the Promised Land, there's just this one line in Scripture that says the Lord left enemies there, so that those who did not know warfare could practice. That, they, that those who didn't know war could be ready for battle when it came. And if we remember that, what we saw here is Jesus said, I'm sorry, um, in in Ephesians, Paul said, um, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. It's coming. Conflict is coming. War is coming. We need to be ready. World War I was called the war to end all wars. You know, that people will learn that lesson. You know, that that's, it's just not worth it anymore. Like, the, the world will learn this lesson. And we thought that through war, we'll finally have this peace. But it wasn't. Christ tells us, if you have a purse, take it, also a bag. If you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. That's a, a worrisome thing. What, what's coming, Jesus? Maybe I need more details. <laughs> you know, why are you telling me not to get a sword? Matthew ten thirty four. I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. So the Advent is coming. Did I, did I just change topics on you? You might be thinking like, how, how are we now here? Because this is what Jesus said. Matthew said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword when he recounts Jesus' words. He also tells us, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Who is more of a child of God than the Son of God himself? When Jesus said that he had come to bring not peace, but a sword, he meant that this would be the effect of his coming not the purpose of his coming. That's the brokenness. It's all right. (laughs) That is such an important distinction for us to remember. It's the effect of his coming is that people can't accept that peace. People fight against it, you know. You have somebody who says, I have the way. You're going to say, I'm going to find my own way. I'll provide for you. I can do it on my own. Why are we that way? Why do we fight against this? Why do we have such pride and ego and greed and lust that we can't accept the free gifts that God gives us so readily? Why do we go to war with God himself? Why do we choose our own paths? Why do we lie and deceive each other trying to just get ahead or save face? Because we're lazy? Yeah. Because we're selfish? Yeah. (laughs) You keep going down the list. But the evidence is true. God shows up and we go to war with him. He shows up and it doesn't bring peace to all. We still go to war. We take up our swords. We we say, I, I, I don't know that that's my God. I don't know that that's the way that I want to submit. I, I think that there's another way. Right. There's some other way that I, I don't have to look so embarrassing. You know, like I have to admit my sins and confess my sins like I'm not as bad as the people around me. they they're They're worse. I was in Vegas, you know, <laughs> you know, I can tell you about some of the sins people are doing. God, just, just give me 10 minutes and, and you'll be looking at me like I'm the chosen one, like I'm the son of God, because, you know, let me tell you about these other people. And we turn this war against each other, against God himself. We're usurpers. We've been in enmity with God. And then we demand a truce on our terms. Our peace comes from laying down our arms. Not at our will, but at his feet. The time for peace comes when Christ has made us brothers. The time for peace comes when Christ has won the victory. The time for peace is when Christ is reigning. Because the Son of Man came to destroy the works of the enemy so that all men could be saved. That's 1 John 3. 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. What an amazing passage. It's it just one of those reductionary things like people ask, why, why Jesus? Why did this happen? Well, it says it, black and white, very clear, to destroy the devil's work. Because he's been active. He's been active at spreading warfare and doubt and fear and anger and stealing from us provision and our peace. Our peace is disrupted because of the devil's work. And then John 3, I'm not going to read 16, John 3, 17 through 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. He came to save everybody, but yet we turn our backs. But we say, that's not my king. But yet we say, that can't be the way. I need to find my own way. But he made himself known. He he set his glory up so that we could see. The church is established that all would know. And we bring this peace. We should have this peace. Like the man I met on the streets. Where I can look at his life and I can be like, I want what you have. I want what you have because, quite frankly, I need it. I don't want to live this way. John 16. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Overcome the world. That's the nuts and bolts of this whole thing. It's his victory. It's his battle. It's his victory. And we get the peace. I mean, I kind of feel like he's got the short end of the stick. (laughs) You know, and we're really coming out ahead here. He's going to fight the fight. He's going to die on the cross. He's going to do the work. And we get peace. Okay. But, you know, we might be a little bit embarrassed. We might lose a little face. It's not going to be because of our strength. It's not going to be because of our great wisdom. It's not going to be because we can strike such a great deal that that we can negotiate this truce. It's not going to be because of any merit that you can bring to the table. But he's going to set up that table in the presence of our enemies. He's going to say, come have a seat. Just go eat. We can have this peace now. So we battle, but we're not not the ones giving the orders because he's overcome the world. The world. Pick up your cross, obey, follow. Some of us are commanded to speak truth, obey that. Some of us are commanded to go, obey that. Some of us are given gifts to share, obey that. Some of us are commanded to heal the sick or sacrifice unto death itself, obey that. None of us, none of us are commanded to hate those that God loves or to condemn those who he's reconciled. Because we have warred with friends, we have lost family and friends to anger, to bitterness, to unforgiveness, and other things that Christ died to overcome. Even now in this room, I know that there's rifts in family, I know that there's separation between loved ones, I know that we struggle. The holiday seasons are particularly hard. Why? Because family's not what we wanted it to be because there's unforgiveness, because there's anger, because something happened with Aunt Susie's china 16 years ago, and it's still chipped, and every time I look at that, I just know when my blood boils, or, or my spoons disappear every time <laughs> that, that, that my aunt comes over, and I just, you know, how can I forgive this? Or they said something that one time about my kids. And you know what? You can insult me all you want, but you're not going to insult my kids. Or who knows? We have so many reasons we could be mad at each other. We have so many reasons to quarrel. We have so many fights that we could pick. But it takes humility to say, I will be a peacemaker. But yet I will lay this down. You know what? Yes, you struck my cheek. And yes, the law says I could sue you. And I could even maybe strike you back and nobody would blame me. But I'm going to turn the other cheek. Yeah, you took that from me. And you know what? Have my coat too. Yeah, you commanded me to, to, to walk a mile, and that wasn't fair. You used your power against me. So you know what? I'm going to walk with you a second mile of my own willingness. That's the gospel. And it's still foreign to us. It's still hard for us to remember. But it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. And so we lose friends and family, and we have civil wars between brothers brothers. Because we just can't believe it, that we have to lay down arms and, and come to peace. To break a cycle, someone has to be humble. To break a cycle, this world' has been in a cycle of warring and destruction ever since Cain and Abel. <laughs> ever since Adam and Eve, we can go back a generation before then. We've been at this cycle of battling with each other ever since the beginning. As soon as there was two people, there was conflict <laughs> as soon as there was two people. I mean, maybe they had a week. I don't know how long. (laughs) The the timeline's a little fuzzy on that. But we know that conflict came in. And we've been doing it ever since. So somebody has to be humble to break this cycle. Somebody has to turn the other cheek. Someone has to lower their weapon first. Fear and mistrust and an unwillingness to suffer. Those keep us at war. But what did Christ do? That's rhetorical. (laughs) He did exactly that. He lowered his weapons I mean, that's not the way we think about it. He came to peace. He came to victory through lowering his weapons and saying, you want to take a shot? Take a shot. You want to put me on the cross? Put me on the cross. You're going to take my very life because I say that you can be forgiven. It's yours. He broke that cycle of war. He broke that cycle of violence. And which ways are we going to follow? Are we going to follow the the ways of of, of Caesar? (laughs) Are we going to follow the ways of Christ? And, oh, church, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard because we do like war, because we think we can win this time. Maybe if I'm just a little bit stronger, a little bit wiser. I, I remember seeing on, on the, the tables in Vegas, if, if I could just hit it this one time, you know, th- then, then everything would be different. If, if I could just get this one thing, if I could win here, and then I could, co- then I don't have to worry. Then I don't have to trust God, because sometimes he seems far away. Sometimes he seems like like maybe he's not trustworthy. and Maybe I just need to do this one on my own. You know, God, God God's good for those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. Wait, where's that in the Bible? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I can't find that. What did Christ do? And can we follow in his footsteps? John 14, 27, I'll leave you with this. Peace I leave with you. My peace... I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. What more could we ask for? He came. Peace on earth. He leaves peace. That's what Advent has. Advent has peace. And for those of us that are, are distracted, those of us that are, are bothered those of us that are so much on our to-do list, those of us that are dreading seeing family, those of us that long to see family, those of us that long for community, those of us that long for provision to just feel okay, look for the table. Look for the table that he has set, even in the presence of your enemies. Look for the, the outstretched hand. Look for the gift of the Spirit saying, I've made a way for you. Will you come? There's a little placard with your name on it. <laughs> There's a house I made just for you. You belong here. So I want I want to pray. I want to do ministry. I want us to not allow these things to be just words, but we take some action from them. So you don't have to raise your hands. I don't, I don't like that way. I did that at, in in Vegas at the conference. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ask you to to do that, but here's the thing. It, you an alter call? it wasn't an <laughs> altar call. It was who's worked on Elasticsearch before. So <laughs> not, not at all the same sort of thing. Um, but but if you know if, if if when I talk about somebody that makes your blood boil, if it's not just a feeling but it's a face, it's a name, it's a relationship. If that comes to your mind, if it, it's a, if it's a straw man a stereotype. You know, like a political party. And by the way, y'all, we have both Democrats and Republicans in the room today. Not, not to spoil this for you, but, <laughs> but if, if, you, if, you are, if you're consumed by these divisions, by these identifications as a, as a way of drawing lines to fight, to find the other, let's find our way underneath God's grace, that you won't perpetuate hate and violence, but we will be peacemakers. You know, even when they're wrong, <laughs> even when you're right, you are a peacemaker, that you bring the kingdom of God. All right? That's one of us. If you are just distraught with these holidays, if you're just lost, you know, you just don't have peace. This is the one that I would respond to, by the way. If you want what my, my buddy there had on the streets, and you see it in part, and you, you, you it scratches some itch, and you're like, I... I need that, but I need that like 10 times more, you know, than than what I've known to date. We want to pray for you. And again, I don't want you to think that like those who will be praying for you are going to be the ones who are like, oh, I've got this whole thing figured out. And, you know, from my throne, I can bestow upon you this, this great peace and wisdom. We are all of us, all of us coming to the throne of God in humility, saying your peace, your victory over these battles that I'm fighting. So if you've been fighting any of these battles, whether you're winning them or losing them, let him fight them for you. Let him tell you where he wants you to go, where he wants you to build in battle, where you can put your hands to the plow, where you can do the work that he's called you to do, and not picking your own fights, not picking your own battles, but following his lead. Lord, we receive your peace. I want to repent, Father, for all the battles I have fought on my own all the wars that I have started because I trusted myself more than you all the things where I was unwilling to follow the path of the cross because I I just thought maybe I could have it all maybe I, I could win this war and still come out smelling like roses all the times I've chose anger or bitterness or unforgiveness I repent and father particularly in this season where we look to you and we say, let your kingdom come, let your peace reign here. Glory to God on the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill. Thank you that you've given so generously as we receive from you. I pray this in his name. Amen.